There's like three people who appreciated the announcements. Everybody else, not so much. I did. I thought you did a great job. Um, yes, good morning, you guys. Good to be with you. I am I'm very excited about today. I, I, um, for those of you who don't know what Be Fearless is, Kim mentioned it. We, we basically just, um, you know, we basically said, what if we all four, there's four Mariners Church campuses. What if we just said, let's just combine our efforts and raise a bunch of money that we don't keep and we just give it away to the community to, you know, people who are doing a great job in the community and that's how much we raise. It's really cool. I mean, it's like one of the coolest things. So when people talk about our church, um, that's one of my favorite things to be able to tell people, you know, when they're, when they're like, well, how should we talk about your church? Well, this is a church that cares about the community that's involved in it and is um, committed not necessarily to reinventing the wheel out in the community, but just partnering with people who are already doing an awesome job. And so, um, very cool. You saw a video last week if you're with us about Families Forward and, um, you know, as we talk about, we're in a series called How to Start a Revolution. One of the most revolutionary things we could ever do is uh, take big risks and go big into the community by giving stuff away. I mean, that being generous is like one of the most revolutionary things we could do. It is totally an act of rebellion, and so we are all about that. So we're in a series, like I said, about how to start a revolution. Um, if you look at Jesus, regardless of how you think about him, regardless if, you know, you're connected in church, you're looking for a church, you're not sure about church, someone dragged you here, whatever it is, however you wound up here, regardless of what you think about Jesus, this is a person who changed the world forever. Whether or not you believe he's God's son, whether or not you believe he has any kind of rescuing power, whatever you might believe, this is a person who changed history forever. And um, Jesus and the early group of his followers believed some stuff about him and about his power given to him by the Holy Spirit. And all, they did all kinds of crazy things that, re, that altered history forever. And so when you look at Jesus, you can't help but look at him without thinking about a revolution that might happen, that your own life and the world could be changed because this is the power of walking with someone who changed the whole world. So that's what this series is about. Um, if you're new, it's a great opportunity to learn some stuff about Jesus that maybe you've never heard before. Hopefully it's placed in such a way that it's fresh for you, that you're you know, gaining an understanding, but more so that a picture of God's unbelievable, remarkable love would be more clear than ever. So as we get into today, let's pray together, and then we will we'll talk about what it looks like to, to join this revolution, to start one in our lives. So let's pray. Jesus, um, we know that there is um, so many different kinds of ways that we walk into this room. Um, Lord, we know that some of us are, are, have been dragged here. Some of us have been, you know, um, we've had a week in which we needed something else other than whatever the world could provide. Others of us, Father, know the sense of community and gratitude that we get to live and be in relationship with each other, with people who are not looking to judge us, but who also want to help us to become the people that you've intended us to become. We know that real sense of what we call you know, fellowship or real depth of friendship. And others of us walk in here, Lord, burdened and lonely, afraid, fearful that something about us might be exposed, that we might be known, and we're so terrified. And so, Lord, as we come in, regardless of however we wandered into this place, that however you might have brought us here, we pause just for a moment that you might speak to us with your revolutionary style of love. So, Father, we give to you a moment to speak to us in stillness. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would speak, that we might hear from you. Lord, we need your power. To varying degrees, we're under a kind of captivity from time to time in our lives, and we need you to break us free from it, that we might live full and free lives, what you intend us to live. 
Jesus, as we walk through today's message to the scripture, would you be um, very apparent to us? And might we be a community of people that are bound to you because of your great love? In your name, amen. Um, so good to be together. If you want to follow along in, uh, in, your, in an outline, we have a little outline in your bulletin. You can pull that out and follow along. We'll be mostly at the end of Luke chapter 4. Um, we'll bounce around a little bit. You can kind of see if you want to follow along in your outline. Some of you, I know, don't want to take your eyes off of these super high-definition screens with bad color. Uh, but you can look at those. Uh, or you can, you know, follow along on whatever device you want. But we'll be mostly in Luke chapter 4. And as you're kind of getting that stuff ready and getting a pen out or whatever it is you want to do. Um, I wanted to, I, I felt like as we talk about you know, sort of the revolutionary concept of this God, Jesus, what that looks like, all of that stuff. What I want to do is, um, I feel like to get us sort of prime the pump for that conversation, I think what we ought to do is um, really take seriously something that is important to me, which is um, 1980s TV show theme songs. And so I want to just take a moment to do that. So what I want to do is this. Um, I'm going to give to you a quiz. Some of you will know these right away. These are my childhood shows. Some of them are a little bit into the 90s, so this is like, you know, a little bit, not just 80s, but a little bit 90s. But I just want to give you a challenge, and if you know the answer, you can shout it out, and this is one moment where you can exhibit, exhibit a little bit of pride, and that's okay here, all right? And pride's generally kind of not looked, you know, happily upon in the Bible, but today, you get a pass if you know these songs, all right? So let's start. Here's number one. Night Rider, yes. A shadowy flight into the darkness of a man who was not known, who's whatever, whatever the title of that thing is. Okay, right, there's that. This is a little more challenging. Some of you are like, Night Rider, challenge me. Here you go. What? Over here, someone said, Growing Pains. Well done, Growing Pains. Now, you, so you should know this. This is a little trivia. You did not know this. Alan Thicke, who is the, you know, the lead character in this guy, he's an at-home psychiatrist. This is Robin Thicke's dad, if you guys are wondering who that is. So we're grateful to him uh, for that. But uh, he also wrote the theme song there, and he wrote the theme song for Different Strokes. Trivia you did not know. Things you did not know that church would give you, you're welcome, okay? <laughs> if you do not get this one, this next one, you need to find another church. Here it is. Go. Fresh Prince. Yes, the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Not exactly 80s, but how could you not have that? Okay. This is this next show theme. It was a defining show for me. And not all of you will know this. And it will express to you how much of a nerd I really am. Go. What? Someone said it. What is it? What is it? Say it real loud. MacGyver. Wait, wait, keep it going. This song go. This song's too, wait, did we, did we already kill it? It's too late. That we almost got to like what would otherwise be the, keep going. This part right here. You know what I'm talking about, right? Here it comes. He's putting together a hang glider with a stick of gum right here in the trailer, you know, in the lead-in. Now, the big explosion. Oh, I loved it. I mean, it was like, this was just, oh, that just called me to the television. So good. Now, I know, you're like, that's so sad. His, I feel so bad for all of his friends he never had. Um... And then there's, there's this one right here. Wait, hang on. Not, don't, don't, don't do it yet. Some of you will think you know this, and you're going to know the song, but you will not know the show. I guarantee. Go. What? Who said it? Someone said it. What is it? Who's the boss? 
Who's the boss? Angela. Right, remember that guy? This is where the famous song parody, Hold Me Closer, Tony Danza, came from, right? You guys remember that? This is all, so this is the show. Now, who's the boss? This is the show. I was embarrassed that I watched it. I could tell, you know, really the only reason I watched it allegedly was because I had a crush on Alyssa Milano. Who was in that show? Someone, yes, amen. Welcome to church. Um, But but that, that show, of course, is this, you know, relationship between a housekeeper, a former baseball player, and his daughter, and then there's the this couple, you know, this other woman he lives with, and it, there's this whole, like, he's the house, live-in housekeeper, and how do they have this relationship, whatever. And the whole question is, who has the ultimate authority in this house? Is it this lady's mother who is also there? Whatever else. But the whole show is essentially based on this question of who is the boss. And I actually think, and I know you're going to go, really, where are you going with this? This has been really fun, but where are you going? The whole, I actually believe, you could read the whole Bible through the lens of that exact question. Who's the boss? Who's in charge? Who has authority? Who doesn't have authority? Who's someone who has authority, who is being, you know, who's, challenged, who's you know, using it in an inappropriate way? How is God's authority being expressed? How are people challenging that authority? How is authority being compromised? This is essentially the whole idea. You could actually literally read the Bible just under that umbrella. Who's, who's in charge here? Who's the boss? Who has the authority? If you're with us last week, Jesus is, he's made his hometown visit his ministry has started. He's already been baptized by a guy named John the Baptist or John the Baptizer. You know, more accurately, it's John the Immerser. And there's uh, John the Baptist. They have, he has, and then he's tempted out in the wilderness. And he starts his public ministry with teaching about this thing called the kingdom of God. And he goes home, has his hometown visit, his high school reunion. And he shows up in the, the synagogue and he reads from the scroll of Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah. And he reads this. We read this last week. Here's what it says. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. You can show that on the screen. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of the sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, all of Jesus' ministry, whatever it is, looks like this. There's the Spirit of God is upon him. Whatever, in people, you know, there's all kinds of stuff, whatever that means. We'll get to that in maybe a little while. But you have this sense that the Holy Spirit's upon him doing something. And the announcement of what the Holy Spirit is doing is about freedom. People who are blind are going to receive sight. Oppressed are going to be released. Captives are going to be set free. There is nothing but this kind of theme except of freedom. And over and over again, this is what Jesus is saying. And whatever it is, all of his ministry, whatever it is moving forward, is going to be an expression of this credo right here. The year of the Lord's favor. The spirit upon him. Freedom for people. A general sense of God's favor among the people. And not just among the people, but among the whole world. Now, the reaction of the people who hear this, if you're with us last week, they're not like, "What? great, we're on board, that sounds awesome. They actually go, who do you think you are? We know who you are. We, you know, we saw your, we know, we grew up around you. We know your sisters and brothers, and we know, what we, we know who you are. And so what they do is they take him up to the top of a hill and try to throw him off. They try to kill him because he says, this is now a new era that I'm bringing in. And the reason why they do it is because they don't think he has the authority. How dare you claim to be this person bringing in this kind of stuff into the world? You can't. You're just Jesus. And he says, well, I might be just Jesus, but I'm, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, and I do have the authority. And they go, no, you don't. And like I said, the whole Bible can be read through this lens of authority about who's the boss and who is in charge and all that kind of stuff. Even to go back to the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis chapter 1. God is the ultimate authority. He's created everything out of nothing. He's created all order out of chaos. And then he's the only person in the Bible. The only person, the only figure in the Bible who can grant authority to other people. Here's what he says. Look, check this out. This is in Genesis 1, 26. Then God said, 
Let us make mankind or human beings in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, over all the creatures that move along the ground. It's really important that you catch that. Now, in three verses, I only gave you one of them. In three verses right there in Genesis chapter 1, you have various terms describing the rulership of human beings over all of creation. God gives to human beings the power to rule. Sometimes you have the words, in some translations, you have the words reign over, or more commonly you have the word have dominion over, or in this case, you have to rule over. Over all of creation. God has given them an authority, which means human beings were intended to have a particular kind of authority that is only subject to God himself. Now, here's, some of you know this story, it's to skip down a little bit, Genesis 2, just to kind of keep you updated. Here's Genesis 2, 16. And the Lord commanded the man, you're free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you'll certainly die. So there's the one, this is the one tree you can't eat from, right, on the whole, you got, a, you got this whole garden, you got everything you could possibly want. You have the archetypal, I mean, the, the definitive woman is your wife, everything's golden, it's great, right, you with me? Now, verse, uh, chapter two, or I'm sorry, chapter three, now the serpent said to the woman, now the serpent, please remember, the serpent is a created being who crawls along the ground, of which human beings are supposed to have authority over. Now the serpent said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And now we're beginning to see there is a challenge to God's authority and to the authority given to human beings. Verse 6, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Now, At that moment, what's happening is there is a challenging of God's authority, not only God's authority, but the authority given to human beings. God has given human beings a kind of authority, and it is subverted by one of the creatures that are also created. And they say, well, maybe God isn't really all that good, and maybe he is holding out on us, and maybe there's something we ought to consider here because, you know, really, we're, we're human beings, and we're kind of awesome, and we should have whatever we want, and all of a sudden, there's this kind of... You don't really have to submit to God. And by doing this, by choosing to eat this fruit, they actually submit themselves, human beings submit themselves to a lesser authority. They obey this serpent and they submit themselves to a lesser authority than God himself. Nothing in creation is intended to have power over people except God himself. And in this moment, chaos is introduced into the world. God's good and right and perfect order is undermined in this moment. And when we get to Jesus' work in the Bible, it is a continuation of God's effort, God's work in the world to restore the chaotic undermining of his authority to bring, and the captivity that comes from it to bring it back to right harmony and order. That's Jesus' work in the world. And when he's talking about this idea of, of freedom for the captives and, and release for the oppressed, all that kind of stuff, what he's saying is I'm going to place back into order what has been undermined by the wrong or sort of the abuses of authority that we've already seen in the Bible. Now, back to Jesus. This is in Luke 4, 31. After he's, you know, he basically, the, the crowd that he's reading to threatens to throw him off a cliff. They walk him to a cliff, and then Jesus just turns around and walks through them. You don't get to throw me off the cliff right now. I, you don't really get much description. He doesn't fight. His, there's no, like, kung fu moment there. He just, I'm out. They just, he just walks through the crowd away from them as they're about to throw him off. Verse 31. Then he went down to Capernaum, a town in Galilee, and on the Sabbath he taught the people. 
They were amazed at his teaching because his words had authority. They heard Jesus teach, and his words had authority. Now, briefly, just to give you a sense of how generally the teaching sort of works. talked about this a little bit last week. Someone stands up to read Scripture, and then generally there was a discussion about what the Scripture really meant. And there are known rabbis with certain kinds of credentials that could comment on the Scripture, and people would read those comments. And there were footnotes upon those comments that people would read and comment about. And then there was comments on the footnotes of the comments of the initial comments in the footnotes. I mean, it's like an unending, like, citation of people who have read this and interpreted things. And that's how the discussion would go. Well, which rabbi says this? And which rabbi says this? And have you heard Rabbi so-and-so says this about this? Well, he footnotes. I mean, it's like, that's how the conversation would go. Only Jesus, as he's reading and teaching, whatever he's doing in terms of proclaiming all this stuff, he doesn't make a list of the citations. He just says stuff. And people go, he's teaching with some kind of unique authority. He teaches on his own authority. And they're amazed because his words have this kind of authority. Verse 33. In the synagogue, there was a man possessed by a demon, an impure spirit. He cried out at the top of his voice, Go away. What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Okay. Some of you are like, Oh, dude. I thought this church was like a normal church. Now we got demons. What are, we, what are we really doing here? Seriously? Let's go. I hope our name gets buzzed on that little call thing so our kids are, you know, there's like a little bit like, are we really going to talk about this? Now, first of all, I should tell you, we're just going through the book of Luke. This is just what's next. You know, it's not like we're going to, we're not, it's just, this was the next thing to talk about. And you have this interesting encounter here. Jesus' authority is being identified. He's teaching and proclaiming and talking about whatever he's talking about, and people are identifying his authority. And then there's this demon who says this, this kind of bizarre thing, a couple of bizarre things. One of them is this. He identifies himself as part of a team. It's one person singular who says, have you come, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Meaning, there's a group of us here, but I'm the only one speaking, and he says, I know who you are. Meaning, there is a something going on beneath the surface that's in the world in which this demon is recognizing Jesus has come to disrupt it. And there is this really bizarre truth here. I know who you are, Jesus of Nazareth, the Holy One of God. Other than the birth narrative and the, you know, early, the early picture of Jesus, the first people to acknowledge who Jesus actually, the first, in, in, all of the, in all of the Gospels, who acknowledge who Jesus is, are the demons. The demons are the one going, we know who you are, the Holy One of God. I mean, nobody's saying that except people, the very, the very birth narrative of Jesus. The angels are saying that, shepherds are saying that, a couple people in the temple. But other than that, you have the demons identifying Jesus, which means they have excellent theology. As a side note, for a lot of people who come to, sort of come to church and they really want to get the deeper learning, whatever else it is, if the demons show us anything, not, we don't want to make them our example, but I just want you to see by contrast. If the demons do show us anything, it's that people who have great theology do not necessarily have lives that are bound to following Jesus. You could learn a lot, but there's something that could still gap, could put a gap between what, knowing a lot about Jesus and actually submitting to his authority. Moving on. 
Some of you are thinking, like I said, I thought this was a normal church. Now we're talking about demons. And, you know, I, I get it. Why are we talking about this? Is, that, is this for real? I mean, seriously. Is there, is there something, you know, is there something we can do with this? You know, let me just tell you. It, it is impossible to look at the ministry of Jesus and not see the confrontation he has with demons. You can't. One, one scholar who the name escapes me now, but the, the one scholar says this. You know, you can no more look at the ministry of Jesus and, and not see demon, like his confrontation with demons and all of the forces of evil then a gardener could look at a garden and not have to confront weeds. I mean, it's just, this is just part of Jesus' life and ministry. You have this, and it's like he's going to run into stuff, and there is a spiritual dimension to stuff that we're not usually comfortable with. And to be honest, not either. You know, I like the idea that there's a little bit more. I, I'm actually pretty much okay with I'm really honest. I'm pretty much okay with, like, the Holy Spirit. I'm, I'm, I'm okay with that, and... You know, he's awesome, and I'm okay with Jesus. But generally, I'm not really thinking that much about demons. Like, okay, all right, you know, maybe back then they just didn't know what, you know, mental illness was, and they just thought that was a demon or whatever. And, you know, I just kind of want to dismiss it. But it's impossible, like I said, to look at the life of Jesus and not see his confrontation with demons. You just can't. Give me a quick, a quick sort of cliff notes on, on demonology. First, just to give you the cliff notes, Satan is, and this is the sort of chief among these demons, is a figure in the, in the Bible. The name actually Satan is actually a Hebrew word that means the accuser or the slanderer. It's not even a proper name, like a, you know, a capital S name until you know, later on in the Bible. But you have this, this figure called the accuser, the Satan, who is continually accusing, who's trying to trap. He's sometimes known as the father of lies. This is a, a figure who is not equal with God. You have to understand, it's not like there is a balance of power between God and then his equal, Satan. Those are not, he's totally unequal with God. He is a created being, which means by nature, he absolutely cannot be equal with God. I remember when I was a kid, I used to watch this show, which they thankfully changed the name of. It was a cartoon. And, uh, you know, you have the, and now they changed it to Justice League. Some of you know the previous show name. Yep, there you go. You hear the laugh. There's an evil laugh, but I heard it, Andrew. <laughs> But there was, a, there was a show before it became Justice League, which was, you know, you had, you had the Hall of Justice, the Justice League of America. It was a very <laughs> pro-American show. And then there was um, the, the, the Legion of Doom, which is a much cooler name. You know, there's Legion of Doom, which all the bad guys. And the show was called, what was it called? Super Friends. Super Friends. Like, that is the dumbest name of the show. But it was always like they were kind of evenly matched. There's the, good, there's the Super Friends and Legion of Doom, and it was like... Where, where all, you know, the good guys are supposed to win, they're always evenly matched, and the bad guys would escape or whatever. Well, now here's the story. It's not the same in the Bible. The scales are so incredibly tipped in God's favor. I mean, it's like, it's not even really a match, really. God is so over and so superior to whatever forces of evil that are led by Satan, who is a fallen angel, a rebellious angel who took his free will and decided to rebel against God. And he took a group of people, a group of angels with him called demons. The whatever army he's got, he sends out to do his work. These are spiritual, you know, teammates of his that are aligned with him, that are intent on ruining whatever work God is doing in the world. And lastly, when you see the word possessed in your Bible, it's not, it's, it's, the word possessed is actually kind of a misnomer. It's actually the word, the word actually is demonization or being demonized. And one of the things you will find as you read the Bible, as the Bible begins to make, as you, you know, read particularly the letters, that, the epistles of Paul, as he writes to different churches, he's writing these letters, warning them about things like demonization. Now remember, if you grew up in the church, I grew up in a, in a church and a belief that people who have 
receive Jesus, walk with Jesus, could never be touched by a demon. Now, let me just tell you, Paul is writing his letters to churches. These are people who follow Jesus, and he's telling them to watch out that they might not be demonized, which means there, is a varying, there are varying degrees to which demons can have and exert influence over everybody. You with me? Some of you are like, wait a second, that's, I thought I was impervious to like evil. Have you, ever, have you ever been tempted to sin? Maybe there's, you with me? Now, there, there's like, there's maybe something going on there. Say with me. Okay, now, again, some of you are still like, seriously, you just talked about like super friends and the, the legion of doom and the devil? Are you really doing this? Let me just tell you, the only way you can look at that is this. Jesus is either, you have to look at the life of Jesus and say, either he's ignorant, he doesn't know what he's actually dealing with. He's up against someone who's got mental illness, and he's like, oh, I don't know what that is. That must be a demon. That's one possibility. You could, you could say that. The other possibility is that he knows it's not real, but he's like got this elaborate deception going. You know, oh, I know that's not actually demons, but I'm going to call it that. You know, he's got that. You could say that. Or you could say he actually is encountering a spiritual realm of opposition, and he's dealing with it in his authority. Those are your only options. And if you believe the first two, then most of Jesus' ministry begins to unwind after that. That he's actually confronting a spiritual force, spiritual forces which are opposing his effort. In fact, when they tell the, there's later on as, as uh, the apostle Peter is telling a, a Roman soldier about Jesus' ministry. Here's how he describes it. We can put that on the screen. This is um, Acts 10. Acts 10, 10, 36 through 38. Anyway, I don't know why I did that. But anyway, you know the message he's telling this, he's telling this, this Roman soldier. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all authority statement. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee, this is where Jesus was, after the baptism that John preached, John the baptizer. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is upon me, and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. The way the ministry of Jesus is described to people who don't fully know it is that it's about freeing people from the power of the devil. I mean, it's like, Try and say that to people now. Oh, I'm, I'm you know, following Jesus, and he's freeing me from the power of the devil. People will be like, okay, <laughs> thank you for that. Please don't ever speak again. You know, like there's, a, the Bible, at the time of the Bible, people take for granted, the Bible takes for granted that there is a spiritual nature to reality. And it's something that we have lost over the course of time, particularly through, you know, modernism and the idea of sort of post-enlightenment. Where we have an idea that there's only material things. And we're not comfortable with the reality of a spiritual dimension. We'll follow Jesus. We like his teaching. We like the idea of giving to the poor. That seems like a pretty good idea. We're about that. But don't talk to me about demons. That's like, that's like fairy tale, bizarre stuff. But this is how Jesus' ministry is described. It is a war of good, Jesus, and the power of all of the Holy Spirit in him to war against the forces of evil, which are embodied in some cases by things like demons. There are two camps generally in the world. When we talk in the church, there's generally two camps when people talk about, you know, demons. There are people that I fall a little bit more in this camp, which is more in the denial camp, like, okay, whatever, demons, please, <laughs> try something else. And there's other people who like, there's a demon everywhere. There's a demon in every, every single thing that's ever happened in their life that's been not awesome, you know. You know, my kid didn't make the soccer team. Forces of evil conspiring against me, I don't know. You know what I mean? You know, uh, you know I, I tried to find a parking spot and there wasn't one. Demons, you know, what, like, you know, I got the flu. Demons. I mean, like, whatever, like, everything is just, everything you're looking at, you go, this is, that's, that's just one extreme. There's the other extreme. This is what, by the way, if you want to, if you're, like, really want to sort of investigate a little bit more of this, kind of the definitive, most accessible work 
on demonology is probably the book Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis. And just in the introduction, he says this. There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils, meaning the demons. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased, meaning the the devils, the demons. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors. And hail a materialist, meaning someone who only believes in things that are you know, material, not the, believe in nothing spiritual. They hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight. I think we have to find a way, out, that without kind of ending up on either end of the spectrum, to deal honestly with the reality that there are forces of evil in the world. And some of you go, there's just no way. You know, when you ask the question, a lot of, a lot of times you get this question in church, which is how come there's evil in the world? Why, is there bad, why do bad things happen in the world? I'm going to get one answer that says, well, human beings are corrupt and they do things. And that's true. But there's another dimension of that, which is that there are forces of evil which are actively pursuing chaos, which are actively pursuing to undermine God's authority, and they are at work as well. That is the reality into which Jesus shows up. It's the reality to which he speaks. It's not something we talk about a lot, but it is the reality. Verse, uh, verse 35, so this, guy come, this demon starts speaking about who Jesus is, and Jesus says this in verse 35. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. Then the demon threw the man down before, before them all and came out without injuring him. All the people were amazed and said to each other, what words these are, with authority and power. He gives orders to impure spirits and they come out. And the news about him spread throughout the surrounding area. Now, Jesus has this encounter with this demon who, first of all, declares who Jesus is. Which Jesus does not like being identified yet. He's like, this makes my, my walking around the world really difficult. So he tells the demon, shut up. That's it. I mean, it's literally like what it is. It's like, shut up. So demons, you know, ah, we know who you are. I don't know how demons talk. That was my impression of a demon. You know, we know who you are. You're the son, you're the holy one of God. Shut up. Come out of him. That's it. That's the whole speech right there. He get, come out and we're done with that. The demons, then the demon, you know, leaves and the man's fine. End of story. And now everybody's like, what kind of authority does this person have? How is it that this Jesus can do this with the, the demons identify him and he can call them out and tell them to shut up? What? Now, the word that you see there is with authority and power. The word power is the word like dunamis, which is where we get words like dynamic or dynamite. That's that word. Authority is, is another word. It's exousia, which means there's, there's this, all of this responsibility, power, and authority are given to Jesus, and he just commands them with the simple words. Come out. Shut up. There are people in the ancient world at this time of Jesus who would travel around, made lots of money being magicians. And generally, magicians would do a couple of things. One is they would have all kinds of spells they would read. The most elaborate spell book was one that was in Ephesus, if you want to read that, about that. But there's this, all these spells people would recount. They would talk about them, tell them. They would recant people, and they would do all this stuff. And then there would be, um, they would make potions and amulets and devices that people would hold on to themselves. And one of the things that magicians would do more than anything else to free people of an oppression of some kind of demonic force in their life is they would call upon the power and the name of a greater, more powerful demon. In other words, we seek the power of a named demon higher than the authority of the one presently occupying a person or getting in their way. In other words, there is a seeking of an authority over the existing evil that is a greater evil. Jesus does none of those things. He doesn't stand on his head. He doesn't have a magical incantation. He just says, shut up, come out, done. And the people are like, wait, wait, we've heard of people who deal with demons, but that was different. You just told that demon to stop talking and come out, and that was all that it was. 
Now, there's a number of ways in which people are, quote-unquote, demonized. And I want to give you a sense. This isn't all the ways, but just give you a sense. It's from a commentary. It says this. The Bible takes for granted the existence of a spirit world. According to the New Testament, demons, also called unclean or evil spirits, lying spirits, or angels of the devil, can affect people by causing physical illness, mental aberrations, emotional malaise, and moral temptation. Demonized means affected by demons in, more, in one or more of these ways. Now, I look at that list and I go, I've had emotional malaise before. I've had moral temptation before. You know, I've, 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 had, I've had physical illness before. And, well, not everything may be caused by demons, but maybe there's some forces of evil that are manifesting themselves physically in my own life. You know, there's lots of ways of being demonized. Not everything is demonic. Like I said, you know, the, the, the tra- you hit a traffic jam, that's not necessarily the demons that have caused a traffic jam. A mattress fell on the, par- on, you know, on the freeway. It's like, unless the mattress is evil itself. I mean, it's just like, there it is. People do get injured. People do fall. There are things that happen that are not necessarily demonic in nature. And let's talk about real evil. Like Florida beating UCLA in the Sweet 16. That is the evidence of just forces of evil conspiring against God's goodness. But that's a different story. But there's real actual impact of evil in the world, and we tend to deny it because we're not comfortable with it. And Jesus is empowered by the Holy Spirit to have authority over these things, and we ought to consider their reality with a little bit more seriousness. Verse 38, check this out. Jesus went, left the synagogue and went to the home of Simon. This is the apostle Simon, the disciple, now, who will eventually be called Peter. Now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever, and they asked Jesus to help her. So he bent over and rebuked the fever, and it left her. She got up at once and began to wait on them. Okay, now just, this is a little bit bizarre. Now, these two verses are just another expression of Jesus' authority. He has this authority over these demons, which is like, whoa, holy smokes. And then he goes and has like, Simon's like, hey, my my mother-in-law is sick. So he goes to the house, and he rebukes the fever. Now, some of you have had sick children before, and you've rebuked their fever. But it's a little more like, I wish you would stop being sick. I'm so tired, and the barf is everywhere, and I just want to go to bed. And that's how we rebuke fever in our house. It doesn't really work. But Jesus has this authority or even over sickness in which he just goes, stop it. How dare you cause this? How, whatever it is, and doesn't, doesn't attribute it to evil here, doesn't attribute it to demons, just there's authority over every kind of oppression. And then she gets up, oh, I feel much better. Would anybody like something to eat? I mean, it's like the weirdest scenario. No one gives her a moment. She just gets up and starts serving stuff to people. But that's, you know, like, I, I don't, I, this is kind of a bizarre moment. And it's sandwiched between these other things. Now, verse 40. At sunset, the people brought, Jesus to all, uh, brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness and laying his hands on each one. Now, there's the personal nature of the healing here. People come with their sicknesses, and Jesus places his hands upon them to heal them. Moreover, this is in addition to the sicknesses being healed, which means they're def- not necessarily the same thing. Moreover, demons came out of many people shouting, you are the son of God. Again, there's that great theology. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew he was the Messiah, meaning his time to kind of announce this stuff hasn't fully come yet. Jesus' authority is expressed over even the forces of evil. And it's said in so many ways that the freedom from oppression, as we look at Jesus' ministry begins, this revolution he starts, is about liberating people from the captivity of things that have kept them in bondage. Now, demons are some things, they are 
intending to, to elevate the level of bondage and captivity you have in your life. That is the reality of demons. In my own life, as a pastor, I've seen some kind of bizarre things. I've had, and this, is, and this isn't the commonplace thing, these are some of the bizarre things. And now remember, I'm a person who's like, okay, demons, I, I think we should probably, they're in the Bible, we should talk about them, but I don't really want to deal with them. But who does? I mean, who really wants to go? I just love dealing with demons. I mean, that's, like a, that's, that's a person I, I'm worried about. But honestly, and so I'm, I'm, I'm taking a, a call one time, this is a couple years ago, and a guy came in and he's, he, play, he goes, he's, you could tell he's been not sleeping for a long time. And he goes, hey, I've been, um, I've, I've been receiving, you know, phone calls. And I'm like, okay. And from my girlfriend. And I'm like, yeah, okay. And he goes, um, yeah, she died a couple years ago. And I went, okay. And he starts going, you have to trust me. I'm not crazy. I'm a PhD student at UCI. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm doing my dissertation. Are, are, and he looks at me like, are, are you smart? And I was like, well, I don't have a PhD. You know, I'm like, you know, I, I, went, to, I went to public college. Is that okay? And he's like, okay, well, that's fine. You know, like, I'm sorry. <laughs> And he goes, he goes, I want to play you the audio of this phone call. And I was like, no. <laughs> he plays the audio of this phone call. And, I'm, and he goes, what do you hear being said? And it was, there's, I don't know how to describe what I heard to you guys, except to say that it was not something that was like, this is a fake little funny thing. The guy's terrified. He's worried that I'm going to think he's crazy. And the voice was not something that felt like it was from this world. And the voice said, come and follow me. And he looked at me and he goes, what do you think I should do? I said, don't, don't follow. <laughs> it's like, this is a person who's dead, who is calling you to die. That's not something that's good. And so I'm like, he's, and he's, he's not, a, this person is not a person who's a follower of Jesus. He's not convinced, but he'd been to see all kinds of different spiritualists. He'd seen all kinds of different other people. And he played the tape for them too. And they all said the same thing. And he's going, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. And I go, well, this is a deception that is intending to entrap you, to take you closer and closer to death. Do you want to be freed up from that? And he goes, I'm not sure. Okay. Bizarre stuff. I had um, a, a woman in, that came into my office. This is a long. This is a while ago. She came in. This is um, earlier on. She she same had the same kind of face. She said she couldn't get out of her car. She said something was keeping her in her car, like she couldn't open her doors. She fought through. Came in, ran into our office, had a conversation. I prayed with her once, and I'm like, "Are you are you okay?" And she goes, "No." And I, so I have another conversation with her, start talking to her. It turns out a couple of other people in our church come around her, and it, she, we begin to pray over her in Jesus' name and his authority, and there is a supernatural strength she begins to gain. She's a little woman. She's probably that tall. I'm holding her, and she begins to push her up my her, like, you know, I'm not like Mr. You know, universe, but I'm bigger than this woman, and her arms are pushing up against me, and she starts to look at me and stare at me, and this is a woman who starts to have these kinds of reactions that are kind of described in this, you know, there's this violence to her, and we are praying in Jesus' name to relieve her of this oppression, and it ultimately happens. I mean, there is, there's bizarre stuff. There's things like this, even to a lesser degree. There's a guy I talked to this week who had a, um, he's telling the story about his, actually, it's a secondhand story, and this guy's having confrontations with his son over and over again. His son's a teenager now, and they're having confrontations. And over and over again, they can't figure out what happened to his son. The father and son are having these, these battles, these head-to-head battles. And they get to a point where they're almost going to go to blows. Literally, it's going to become a physical conflict. And right before it gets to that point, the dad reaches out and holds his son by the hand and said, in desperation, says, God, give me my son back. Son's face contorts. Everything is different at that moment. 
I do not know how the forces of evil work. I just know that they are real. And to pretend as though they are not is an incredibly dangerous thing to do for someone who wants to follow Jesus. Now, some of you go, look, I, 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 get, I get this. You know, I don't want to be, you know, not, I'm not encouraging anybody to go out being like cavalier. I'm not encouraging anybody to kind of go all Ghostbuster style. And stuff. Like, it's not what I'm talking about. In fact, I think there's a real danger in having some pride about what, like, look what I can do. I mean, I think that's not really what we're talking about. But being able to say, there are forces of evil that are opposing God's good work in the world. That is the reality we have to live in. And we also have to live in the reality that is Jesus himself who is over those things, who has power over them. Here's what it says in Colossians. It's on your own line, too. Verse 9, for Christ, for in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. Meaning this is God with skin on. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. Skipping down to verse 15. Having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. This is what we, this is, this is the victory of the cross on Good Friday. It is the tragic, ironic victory of Jesus on the cross on Good Friday, which is all of the powers which tried to stop him are undermined by his self-sacrificing love. And he, he is fully in authority over all those things, over all those forces. The powers of evil are conquered by Jesus. You, who belong to Jesus, have this authority. There's even instances in the Bible where people are casting out or dealing with demons just in Jesus' name who don't even know Jesus. Just by his name alone. Some of them, actually, there's a couple comic moments where people, people are doing this who don't know Jesus, and then all of a sudden the demons kind of turn on them like, Wait a second. And they just start punching him. I mean, literally, it was like a, it's in Acts 17. You can read about it. It's an unbelievably tragic comic story. But now, in our own lives, even though we have power over these things given to us by God himself in, in Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit over these things, there are things that happen to us. And I would say these are things that are where doors in our lives just get left open. We actually grant permission to things, to evil to be present in our lives. Some of those things, sometimes the doors are opened by things that have happened to us that are not our fault, but those doors have remained open. Let me give you a couple examples. Um, remember, the, the accuser, Satan, is sometimes called the father of lies, and he begins to tell us very elaborate lies about ourselves. You are a failure. You are not lovable. You will never be someone people want to be around. You are someone who cannot win. You are someone who, who will never find peace. You're someone who will never be able to overcome. You will be locked in addiction. You'll be locked in captivity. These are all the things that Satan begins to say. And the moment he gets victory, when a door begins to open, because you could say those, th you know, those things get told to you enough, and you go, that's not true, that's not true. But the moment you start saying, maybe that's true. And the you accusations that the father of lies begins to tell you, when the moment they become, I am, the door's open. I am not lovable. I will never have any victory in my life. It's true. I'm mostly a failure. I'm everything that good, every good thing that happens to me is probably being subverted by some evil anyway. And I, I, no one really wants to be around. Oh. There is a door that's open then. Now, because you are sad or lonely or depressed or guilty or whatever else it is in your life that you feel shame, whatever else it is, it doesn't mean then that you're ultimately going to be demonized. There are times in my life where I have left my car. My wife does this all the time. It drives me crazy. Guys, you can be with me. She, I'm like, where's your keys to the car? They're in the car with my purse. With the, uh, with the open car, uh-huh. And I'm just walking out to the car, our super awesome high-value minivan. 
I walk out there and think, I hope someone doesn't steal it because it's so awesome. Luckily, they don't steal it. But I think the doors were unlocked. People could have come in and taken whatever they wanted. The doors begin to get open in our lives. We begin to believe some of these lies. And there are other things we open the door for. In my own life, I'll give you a couple of examples. One of them is anger. The authority that God has over my life, I surrender to my own anger. There's a door that's opened. Maybe some of you have experienced something like abuse in your life or you're engaging in some kind of vague spirituality which is really popular in the world. This is opening the door. Maybe there's a perpetual sin. Maybe there's bitterness. Maybe there's some kind of sexual impropriety. Whatever it might be, these are things that are opening the door. They don't necessarily mean that you're going to be demonized, but they open the door for those kinds of things. Now, the impact is on our whole self. It's physical. It's emotional. It's spiritual. This is the whole self kind of thing, and we believe that Jesus wants to liberate people from captivity for their whole self. And we place ourselves under the authority of evil. Let me tell you how doors get closed, though. Doors get opened by these kinds of things. Let me tell you how they, get, how they get closed. They get closed with simple truths. Simple truths. We believe elaborate lives for ourselves, elaborate lies for ourselves, but we somehow manage to forget the simple truths. And here are some of them you just need to hear right now. Some of you, may, this may be the only reason you came here today, is just to hear these things. People who belong to Jesus, you are God's masterpiece. You are God's masterpiece. You are a child of God. The Bible describes people who, with Jesus who are friends of Christ, not enemies. That you have the power of the Holy Spirit. You are a minister of reconciliation. You are, you are bound to him for eternal glory. These are the kinds of truths that we can't simply say, well, that's, you know, we don't just want to say to a lie, that's not true. We want to embrace a truth that is its opposite, that's its real, whole truth. And we begin to start closing the door. We begin to say, when there's something actually happening that's going on that's not healthy, that God's being opposed in some way, we call in the name of Jesus in his authority, and we identify the truth of what's really real. And we can say to the forces of evil, shut up. Come out. See, it is in Jesus' authority that those things are conquered. Just a little foreshadowing in Luke chapter 9. Here's what Jesus does when he sends out this, the 12. When Jesus had called the 12 together, he gave them power and authority to drive out demons and to cure sicknesses. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Meaning this authority is not held by magicians. It's not held by people who have special training. It's held by people who belong to Jesus. Most of us don't really want to utilize it. But we can. And none of us in this room is perfect. None of us has all the answers about all this stuff. I don't have all the answers about all this stuff. And nobody else in here, if they claim to have all the answers about this stuff, has all the answers. But we have the authority in Jesus to deal with them honestly. So here's what we're going to do. In a moment, you're going to get a chance. We have um, teams of people prepared to pray with you. Some of you are like, I'm not coming forward. It'll look like I have a demon inside of me. I don't, know, I don't want anybody to know that. Remember, remember, you guys, not everything is a demonic thing, but some things are. And sometimes the symptoms of demonic stuff in our lives aren't all that different from other things. And while you might, you know, have an opportunity to pray with someone, it, it could be one of a number of things. Hey, I'm feeling, I feel like a, an intense darkness and oppression and fear in my life. I don't know whether it's demonic, but could you pray for me in the power of Jesus' name? 
Okay. You don't have to, you don't have to be, you don't have to have someone, you know, an evil voice speak to you or call you on your voicemail and leave you a message from the, I mean, you don't have to have those kinds of moments to say this is evil. It's just like, I'm going to read you the definition one more time. Here are some of the ways demons work. They can affect people by causing physical illness, mental aberrations, emotional malaise, and moral temptation. I've experienced all those things. I'm not sure all of them were because of demons, but they might have been, and maybe they presently are. So there's no reason to be, like, judged about this. You don't know. We don't know. But it would be a huge mistake to say there's an opportunity to be prayed for, to have this overcome in my life, and to let it go. So here's what I want you to do. Why don't you close your eyes? The band will come up, and some of our prayer team will come forward to the front of the room. And we're going to pray. Jesus, for so many of us, including myself, this is just so bizarre. It really is. You know, we wanted to come to church to be encouraged, maybe to sing some songs, to hear some of what, you know, maybe some encouragement about our own life. And a lot of us, we're not anticipating this today. And yet we're bound to talk about things that are true. Jesus. Father, would you help us right now in our own hearts to identify those doors which have been opened the things we don't really talk about, the things we've minimized, the things we say, well, the door's cracked a little bit, but they're, you know, I have a dog or something. I mean, whatever it might be in our life, God, that we go, it's not that big a deal. Maybe those doors have been entered into by things that would oppose your good work of liberating revolutionary love. And what we put on a face, we might actually be being held captive. Lord, we're not advocating insanity about these things but lord might we have some degree of honesty that there is evil and it can be overcome by your authority and by your power so jesus as we respond in these songs would you hear our prayer as people honestly deal with the reality of what's in their life on the possibility that it might be more than just a nothing there might be something serious that needs to be dealt with. And so Jesus, we courageously call upon your name and your power and your authority to bring about and to send out and to conquer sin and evil itself. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray and we continue to pray and sing. Amen.